So, Lord, here we are, here we are at the start of 2018. We take that, that refrain, that word, that beautiful phrase that uh, for 2018, we're no longer a slave to fear. And we understand that on the cross, you took all of the pain and all of the hurt and all of the sin. And you absorbed it into yourself and you buried it in the ground. And in your resurrection, you rose so that we could be your sons and daughters. And so we walk into 2018 with that as our anthem. And so we ask for your help in living that out. So we're here to listen to you today. And we want to hear what you have to say. We pray this in your name. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm glad you're here. Uh, Start of 2018, I want to give you a couple of uh, insights into what's coming next so you can kind of plan your beginning of 2018. Just like Rich said, we beat the goal in our Christmas offering. We give away 100% of uh, the Christmas offering every year. Our goal was $65,000, and you gave, I think, $66,301.56 or something like that. Yeah. Yep. So we've already cut, begun cutting checks, and you've been, some of you have been delivering those to people that you nominated locally. We've already begun cutting checks to the nonprofits that we're going to work with over 2018. We're already talking to uh, the church in Malawi, Africa, about beginning to build the well. We'll keep you updated about all that and want you to be a part of that. Part of that, we're, gonna tr- we're trying to work out a, a way to go to Malawi, Africa. So if you want to uh, be a part of that, you can talk with me about that and as we begin to form uh, that and figure that out. Uh, but man, way to go, way to go, way to, way to make a difference in, in your giving. And I want to tell you thank you, really, I do. Um, next Sunday, uh, January the 14th, Rich and Missy Evans, Rich uh, has been our family ministry pastor, was up here a few minutes ago, is uh, they're transitioning and they're taking the step of being a lead pastor at Monroe Church of the Nazarene in Monroe, Michigan. And next Sunday will be their very last Sunday with us. And after the service in the community space will be a reception. And so I hope you will... Uh, write them a card, give them a gift, give them a hug, cry on their shoulder, um, all the wonderful things we can do to say uh, we love you and we bless you as you go. Um, so that'll be, that'll be next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that is Baptism Sunday. There's that card on your chair. Uh, after the service is a meeting, if you have questions about baptism, then I'll be leading in the baby cry room across the hall over there. Uh, but that's, a, what an incredible way to begin 2018 then understanding that you're a child of God and letting people know it by being baptized. We'd love the opportunity to baptize you on the 21st. And then also on the 21st, for those of you who are partners, that's our word for members of our church, people who are partners in our mission, we'll be electing three new people to serve on our church board. And uh, we'll send you some information about who those folks are so you can know who they are if you're a, a partner with us. And uh, we follow the pattern in, that Paul wrote to Timothy, that there would be people of character and people that we can trust. And you'll be approving yay or nay if these are people that need to serve on our board on the 21st. You'll get some more information about that, but just as an FYI. And then right after Baptism Sunday, we're going to start a series that I'm really excited about called Person of Influence. How do you become a person of influence in your own life, in the lives of people around you, and in the world around us. And we're going to talk real practically about how to do that. I'm excited about that. I hope you'll be a part of that. Uh, But today, we're going to start with one of probably maybe the most famous story in all of the Gospels. When you hear one of the lines in here, you're going to go, oh yeah, I've heard that. And it is a Me Too story, uh, which means that it is a story for the victims 
of abuse and harassment. And we're going to talk about that in an honest way this morning. Would you stand with me? We're going to read the scriptures together as is our practice uh, out of respect for the scriptures. I'll read it aloud. It'll be on the screen. If you have a Bible, you can leave it open there to John chapter 8 or on your smartphone. You can leave it there as well. And I'll read this aloud. At dawn, he appeared again. This is referring to Jesus in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, and this is the famous phrase, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. On October the 15th of this last year, the actress Alyssa Milano uh, sent out a tweet. And we've actually got a copy of the, the original tweet that she sent out. And she said this in the tweet, If all the women who have been sexually harassed or assaulted wrote, Me Too, as a status, we might give people a sense of the magnitude of the problem. What she was responding to was what happened on October the 5th, just a few days before, when in the New York Times uh, an accusation came out against Harvey Weinstein, who was uh, one of the most powerful men, if not the most powerful man in Hollywood, and over the course of three decades has been behind many movies that have won many awards, Oscars, been blockbusters at the uh, box office. Uh, and, And what came out in that accusation has come out since then is that there have basically been 30 years of cover-ups and payments to cover over his completely inappropriate behavior with scores now and scores and scores of women who have made accusation after accusation, all saying virtually the same thing with the same kind of story. This is on the heels of um, Bill O'Reilly losing his spot in Fox News, Bill Cosby, Roger Ailes. Uh, She sent this and said, listen, this is bigger uh, than any of you know. Uh, If we all would just say me too, maybe we would all understand that this is a bigger problem than anyone knows because here's the reality. I'm a man. I don't understand what it's like to be a woman. I don't understand women. That's a whole other subject, a whole other message. (laughs) But she's saying, listen, guys, you don't understand what it's like. And if more of us women would stand up and say something, you'd understand something because here's how it usually works. Usually it's the man who has more of the power. In fact, one of the people who, talk, who made one of the accusations against Harvey Weinstein said, listen, when, when this happened, I was brand new to Hollywood. I was just trying to make it. I just got in the audience with the most powerful man in Hollywood, and he asked me to do things that were completely and totally inappropriate. I didn't know what else to do. And if there were a power scale, it would have been me, zero, Harvey Weinstein, ten. Now, I, I've heard all this. I love what happens in culture because uh, one of the things I, I hope to do as a pastor is to help guide us as people to respond to the things that are happening in our culture because the scriptures say we're to be in the world but not of it. In other words, not defined by it. 
And so we've got to understand what's happening in the culture. And so I'm, I'm kind of always fascinated why, when these things happen. And, and, and as a man, very honestly, I, I've watched this whole Me Too phenomenon, and I've kind of thought, okay, well, I, I'm sure that's real, but I don't know how really real that is, and I, maybe we probably need to talk about this. And so uh, I put out this survey that I uh, released on Thursday uh, based off of the Barna Group, and I put it out on Thursday afternoon. Thursday afternoon, most either people don't have anything to do at work. I don't, I'm not sure what, what happened, but I, I put this out. And within 45 minutes, I had 45 responses. And I didn't realize I'd set an email notification uh, to ding at me every time someone responded. And it was just like ding, 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 ding. I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I went on and I, I read the responses because there was a space where you could anonymously say whatever you wanted, and it was predominantly women. And, and uh, here were the, the responses of, as of last night. This is actually more of as, uh, today, but 144 people, most of them women. Uh, out of those 144 people, um, 85% of them said, I have personally been sexually harassed. You could select. You could say, I've personally been harassed. I've seen someone else um, being, being harassed. I know someone who has, or I don't want to answer 85% of the respond, 85% of 144 people, mostly women, said, I have personally been sexually harassed. Now, you may be wondering, well, what's your goal in all this? Are you just trying to stir stuff up? Why are you doing this? Well, I have two goals in uh, talking about this at the beginning of the year. One is that I want to pastor you. Now, I hope you know the, the root meaning of that word. It, when we talk about a pastoral scene, we're referring to something that has those green rolling hills and there's sheep and a shepherd. Uh, it refers to shepherding. It refers to guiding. And I, what I'm hoping to do is to guide you along a good path. And with regard to this issue, provide some comfort for those who have been hurt and provide some correction for those who have been misguided, and then maybe point out our job as the church in the middle of a moment like this, of the Me Too uh, phenomenon that's happening. And then this is my second goal, and you may not agree with this. My second goal is to tell you what is right and what is wrong with regards to sexuality and how we treat other people. How you can aid what's right and how you can treat people in the wrong. Now, more than that, I'm not trying to tell you my opinion. I, I hope that you see Jesus, what Jesus considers to be right and wrong and good and bad and healthy and unhealthy. And if you could have what Jesus thinks in the front of your mind, then it might be in the, f- the first part of your actions and it might be the way you respond. And if you were to see his example of how he treated women, how he treated people who were vulnerable, how he treated people's sexuality, then you could use it as your pattern. And I, you know without me having to tell you that if everyone just said, you know what, how would Jesus handle this scenario? We wouldn't even be having this discussion. If 30 years ago, Harvey Weinstein, when he had the inclination to use his power to get what he wanted from a woman, had instead said, now would Jesus do this to this woman? We wouldn't be having this conversation at all. Now, I know there are, there are two groups of people that I'm really talking to. I'm talking to women, and usually in this thing, uh, usually it's the woman who is the victim of sexual harassment. There are some instances where it's men. I understand that. But I'm, I'm talking predominantly to women who have been the victims of this. And then I'm talking to men who are one of two things, either continuing the problem without realizing it or maybe actually realizing it, or you are around women who are the victims of this and you're remaining silent or you just don't know what to say. And so I want to talk to both of those groups. 
Now, as a man, this is kind of how I see this. I'll tell you a story uh, that just kind of illustrates how I see this. Uh, when my wife and I lived in St. Louis, Missouri, as pastoring a church there, we uh, bought a house, and it was a house that was uh, older, and we wanted to rehab it, and uh, we had our two little boys, and my wife was pregnant with our daughter, Carrington, at the time, and we said, you know what, we can ambitiously said, you know, in six weeks, we can remodel this entire house, basically, and uh, we can move in before the baby comes. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. Um, <clears throat> So we set out to do this, and I would go on my day off and at, at night and would go work there, and sometimes Andrea would come and she would sit there just because it was so crazy. I about lost my mind. I about had a nervous breakdown, and, and that's another, another story, another time. But I, I, there I am working away, and one day on a very nice day, very uh, sunny out, the sun was shining, it was warm, I went inside the house and I got started on one of my projects, and uh, I heard at the door, boom, 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 boom. I ignored it. You know, what, what, what in the world's going on? Boom, 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 boom. I go to the door, and there's a woman standing there that I'd never seen, and she said, uh, I think your wife needs you. And I looked, and I saw my wife sitting out on the curb. Now, when we bought the house, we were really uh, a little afraid of buying the house because we lived on a street that was a cut through of the neighborhood, so people would kind of speed by. And our kids, our boys were little, and we were worried they would run out into the street. And that was one of the reasons we thought we wouldn't buy the house. And I went out there, and I, as I walked out the door, I heard her on the curb sobbing. She's eight months pregnant. And my first thought was, okay, where are the boys who, who, got, who got hit? There's no cars. I didn't see What in the world's going on? And I get over to her, and she does like this. She holds her hand up. I'm laughing now. She holds her hand up, and she says, I think I broke my hand. Now, if you're smart in a moment like that, and you look at an obviously broken and mangled hand, your correct response is, oh no, you're going to be fine. <laughs> because what had happened is she'd walked out eight months pregnant, the driveway had a little slope to it, and at the bottom of the driveway was one of those little lips, and she'd tripped over her own feet and couldn't catch her balance because she was eight months pregnant, and her hand landed in that little thing and broke all four of her fingers right here so that her, one of the fingers was, I won't even show you, and about made me throw up. But no, you're going to be totally fine. It's not a problem. And it is literally a miracle today that she can write. It's beautiful handwriting and that she can write today. Why am I telling you that story? Well, I think with regard to this Me Too thing as men, what we need to understand it, with all of the women who have now millions of times used that hashtag, Me Too, what they are saying to us is, I am sitting out on the curb in pain. Do you know? Do you notice? Do you understand what I'm feeling, how I'm hurting? I, I have to confess to you, when I put the survey out and I put the comments, I won't say anything about them because I said they'd be anonymous. I literally couldn't read to you what was written because it's so painful and graphic. And after I read the multitude of comments from women about where they, it seemed to me, at least from my perspective, felt like I can finally say what I've been afraid to say for so long, is they were saying, listen, I am in pain. Do you notice? Now, some of you, when I said, I want to tell you what's right and wrong when it comes to sexuality, some of you winced because you went, ah, can you, are you allowed to say that? Now, you may, may not agree that there is a right or wrong. I, I think there is, uh, but can we at least agree, agree on this, even if you don't think that there is, is can we agree on the fact that we are confused on the subject of sexuality? 
I'll give you an example. Just a few days before Harvey Weinstein's, the accusations against him came out, uh, about a week before, Hugh Hefner died. And I watched people make comments about what a great man Hugh Hefner was, what great things he did for society and for women, that he was a liberator, that he was for women's rights, that he was against sexual oppression. And I'm just, I'm scratching my head because this was not a hero. This man was not, this man was not a hero. He was the warden of a prison and convinced all of us that it was fun in the prison. I'm not the judge of his soul, and neither are you, but we can look at his actions, and we can look at the fruit of his life and make a judgment on that. And, and I, I can't go into all the detail of it because there's not time today, but you could talk about pornography alone and what psychologists are saying are happening now to the generation that's 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, and how psychologists are worried about how it is shifting how people interact and have relationships, and they're worried about what's going to happen in the next generation. I'm not saying that's all his fault. I'm saying a huge portion of it is at his feet, though. I hope you don't look at him as a hero. But here's what we have done. This is why we're so confused. We are praising Hugh Hefner while at the same time we are disgusted by the logical result of what Hugh Hefner stood for. Here's what Hugh Hefner stood for. And I'll read you a quote in just a minute. Women are objects. The result of that is that we treat women like they're objects, right? Hugh Hefner! I can't believe people would treat women like that. I I hope you can, if you don't agree that there's a right and a wrong, Maybe you can at least see the inconsistency in that position, which brings us to Jesus and this passage in John chapter 8. Now, I need to tell you this. Some of you will read this and you'll go, hey, wait a second. If you were to read in John chapter 7, in most of your Bibles, there's a little note that says the earliest manuscripts do not contain uh, chapter 7, verse 53 through 8, chapter 8, verse 11, which is this passage that we just read. And you may say, well, what does that mean? Well, I just explained to you the translation process. The Bible that you have in English is translated from Greek in the New Testament and Aramaic and then Hebrew in the Old Testament. So there were translation things made. Now, you may not know this either, but we have more uh, copies of the, the Bible, the New Testament and the Old Testament, than any document in antiquity, any ancient document. So uh, I'll give you some examples. Uh, the writings of Aristotle, who is considered one of the great philosophers of our, our age, a Greek philosopher. Uh, we have just a few dozen copies of his writings to verify that what he said was what he said. The, the historian Tacitus, who was one of the earliest historians of ancient Rome, we have, uh, and all the good historians say, yeah, what he said about ancient Rome is the way it was, and it's one of the sources they turn to for how, what life was like then, and when people write movies, they read what he wrote. Do you know how many copies of his writings we have? Two. We have almost 6,000 copies, ancient manuscripts of the Old and New Testament. I hope that gives you some confidence in the Bible. It gives me some confidence in the Bible. All it's saying when it says that is that about a quarter of the earliest resources of those manuscripts don't have that story right there or they have it in another place. And and all I like about that is it's just the the translators being honest and saying, well, we just don't really know. But we're pretty sure this this happened and this was here. And so I just, that just, a little bit of an aside, but here, here's the story. Uh, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, now let me, let me push pause right there. These were the powerful men of their day. They were religious leaders. They were respected and trusted. They controlled what happened in the community. Now listen, as men, we usually do not realize that we have all of the power. Not, maybe not all, but we have 95% of the power most of the day. We don't recognize that. 
most women, if, they, if you would have honest conversations with them, would say, yeah, men usually have the power, and we're on the downside of the power equation. And, and we don't think we do because we're not women, and so we think, no, I don't really, it's all equal, and it's not. We're going to talk more about powerful men next week, a story from the Old Testament. But here's what they did. They brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, I have read this story many times. It's a famous story. Um, but I, as I was reading it, had some questions that I hadn't had before as I was reading through this. And these were my questions because this was from the night before. And I, here's my question. How, how did they have this scenario so readily available to present to Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? How did they know that this had happened, which is another way of saying, was this a setup? Now, I'll give you another passage in a second that I think makes sense that it was a trap. But here's the biggest question that I had as I read this. Where's the man? Where's he at? Now, this is, this is the whole Me Too movement. This is what it's about. This is what they're saying. This is what women are saying. Men have done what they wanted, and women have borne the pain of that. And here's an example of that happening in the scriptures. Here's women bearing the weight of the man's sin. Now, I, if you're a fair-minded person, you just have to say, well, that's not fair. How did they accuse the woman but not the man? I, you may not like this, but the Bible says from the beginning that this is part of the curse of humanity. In fact, Genesis chapter 3, the very first book in the Bible, says this about the woman after the curse happens in the fall. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, you need to understand something. This is a descriptive statement, not a prescriptive statement. In other words, it's not saying what ought to be. It's saying what is because of our sin. Because we're broken, sinful people, the curse is that there's a power differential between men and women. It's part of the curse. Now, some men have, have misread this or they've intended to read it in a different way because they knew they would give them the hand up. And they've demanded things of their wife and claimed divine right. And what they are really doing in doing that is they're living out what Jesus, Genesis said would happen. And in their sin, they are demanding submission from the woman. Because this is not, again, saying this is how it ought to be. It's saying we're broken people, and so this is how it is. Now notice when they do this, when the teachers of the law and the Pharisees bring this woman, they bring her at dawn. I just think this so clearly points to the fact that this is a setup. But again, where's the man? They're religious leaders. They had the Old Testament committed to memory. They knew that Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22 said, If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. What are they doing? They are using the woman as a pawn in their game to get what they want. Now, I told you I was going to tell you what's a right and a wrong view of sexuality, and what they are doing right here is absolutely wrong. To use power, if you are a man or a woman, to get someone of the opposite sex to do something to get what you want is always wrong. Let me say that again. It is always wrong to use someone else to get what you want in a sexual way. Always. There's never a scenario where, well, I guess it's okay this time. It is always wrong. Now, it can be a woman doing that, but it is usually a man, and, and the whole Me Too phenomenon bears this out, and, and men often feel entitled to a woman and to her body and to having power over her. And I would tell you also that 
objectifying people is also always wrong. Let me, let me just read you a quote from Hugh Hefner's life. This was kind of his guiding philosophy, and just see what you think about this. This is what he said. Everybody, if they've got their head on straight, wants to be a sexual object, among other things. They want to be attractive. Otherwise, what a sad and pathetic life. To really live a life worth, uh, worthwhile life is to be attracted to and attractive to other people. What's he arguing for? We can treat other people. Now, he didn't notice. He's a man. His whole empire was built around what he did to women, not other men. Do you, do you, understand, you see that about him? And so what happens is men have imbibed this and, and become entitled. And now hear me, I'm not saying all men do this. I'm not saying if you're a man, you're doing this. I'm just saying there are some men who do. Some of them may be you. I, I was listening to someone uh, sent me a, a podcast, and it was a woman reporter, and she was walking down the street, and this guy catcalled her. He didn't know she was a reporter, and she paused, she turned around, and she thought, I'm going to go talk to this guy. I'm going to see what, why he's saying this. What, what's his deal? And so she had this conversation, and there was this little podcast of her interviewing him, and it took her about two hours to have a conversation with him, because, and he made justification after justification after justification for why it was okay for him to not only catcall, but to inappropriately touch a woman who he didn't know in a way that he thought was funny and that they would think was great. And every time she would say, well, we don't like it when you do that, he would say, but yeah, you don't know every woman. And so what she did to try and show him, she said, I hate losing an argument. And she said, so I went and I, I didn't go uh, to little old church ladies, love little old church ladies, and ask them this question. I went to women who were literally at the club, who were out having a good time. And I asked them just about catcalling. I said, just tell me, how does catcalling make you feel? And we have some of their responses on the screen. I'll read them out loud for you. This is what they said. Again, women at the club. I hate it so much, it makes me feel so uncomfortable. I feel angry and scared. I feel super scared. Just the idea that someone is so much bigger than me and could, do, uh, could so easily do something to me. I feel cheap. I feel like I should change my clothing, like I shouldn't have worn a dress today. I've never met a single person who enjoys it. It's not referring to marital status, a, just an individual person who enjoys it. Not even really drunk women like it, I think. I've never, ever met a girl who enjoyed it Ever. Do you see the difference between what Hugh Hefner said about women and what the women actually said? Do, do you see that? Do you see how what Hugh Hefner said is wrong always? Now, the, the teachers of the law, the, the powerful men of the day, were using this as a question to trap Jesus in order to have a basis for accusing him. But who is the pawn in their game? The woman. This sounds so much like what's been happening. Now, here's, here's where we have to apply this. Because we have to notice what Jesus does. And this is his example. And it's an example to me as a man and to all of you who are men. And it's two things. And it epitomizes Jesus' treatment of women. you got to picture the scene. Here's this woman. She's been used as a ploy. She probably was in on it in some way. There maybe it was monetary. Maybe there was pressure. I don't know why she was in on it but she's now here being used as a pawn in their game and the first thing that Jesus does is that he challenges the people in power they now Jesus what do you say what are we gonna do Jesus he doesn't go well let me tell you how to interpret that law correctly he turns it back on the people in power and he says that very famous phrase hey let the person who's without sin cast the first stone and so then the oldest 
who are most likely to recognize their frailty and weakness go, okay, well, that's me. They drop it. The youngest look at the oldest and go, well, they must know something I don't. They drop it. And then Jesus is left alone with this woman. And you need to notice, this is how Jesus handles people who've been harassed and abused. And the women who wrote down those comments, and you can go to that survey still and fill that out if that will help you, please do. The women who wrote down those comments, and what, what they're saying is, I've not felt like I'm free to say what I've been through. I felt condemned if I try to say it. And so many of them would say, I would have to look at this guy, and I would see this guy, and he would smile at me, and he would make it like I just had to smile back at him, and I knew what he had done to me. Notice what Jesus says. He says, woman, where, where are the people who condemn you? There aren't any. Then these beautiful words full of grace, because this is what Jesus does. He offers grace to people who have been used. Then neither do I condemn you. Listen, if you're a woman and you've been on the end of sexual harassment, that wasn't your fault. You didn't deserve that. That guy was being incredibly selfish. He was only thinking about himself. What he did was wrong. There's no condemnation for you. And, and now, I, I don't know to what degree she was complicit in this, um, but he tells her, he says, now go leave your life of sin. So how are we going to apply this? Because we've got to make this walk, right? We're going to be God's people and I'd offer two things to you, and I'm speaking mostly to men. Next week, I'm going to talk about powerful men and uh, from a story from the Old Testament and, and talk more about that. I know I can't say everything that needs to be said today. But listen, this is what I'd say. How you treat the vulnerable is how you treat Jesus. More often than not, men, the women around us are the vulnerable and the unprotected. And so... We protect the vulnerable and we treat every person with dignity. Listen, listen very, very carefully to me, okay? So that means that we respect women's bodies and space and words. And we don't violate what they say in any way. Because in doing that, in protecting what they've said, we're treating Jesus the same way. And, and then we have to figure out how to treat women as equals. Uh, one of the ladies, I, I, this was not personal in, in the comments, said, I'm older, an older woman now and I work at a company. And, and I observe that younger women, that what they're praised for is not what they bring to the table, but wow, your hair looks really nice today, or you look really pretty, or those are nice shoes, or that dress looks nice on you. What are we doing? We're objectifying women when we treat them that way. A few months ago, we did a series called Man Code. I'm kind of looking at this series as Man Code Part 2. <laughs> and we offered a man code from the chapter of 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 13 that we had everyone read, and we gave the men all these cards. I think we've just got a few of them left that are at the start here desk on your way out if you want to get one. And I challenge you to put it on your mirror and read it out loud um, every day. I've been reading it, and it's convicting. And I don't always succeed at it. And uh, I keep at it, though, because I want this to be true of me. And so I thought it'd be good if we read that man code again out loud as men. And so I'm, I'm going to have us read this out loud together as men. Here we go. You ready? Men are patient. Men are kind. Men do not envy or boast. 
Men are not arrogant or rude. Men do not insist on their own way. Men are not irritable or resentful. Men do not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth. Men bear all things. Men believe the best about all things. Men have hope for all things. Men endure all things. Now listen, this is on the heels of this also to the men. If you are in the wrong on this issue or you have been in the wrong in your past, I hope that you will see where you have been wrong and say, I, I need to change that. It's been wrong. I've been wrong. I hope you also don't walk out of here and feel like, well, okay, you just beat up on me and what am I supposed to do about that? How do I change me? Listen, I hope you know for everyone who's been in the wrong, don't forget that Jesus died for people who did wrong. That's why he came. I'd love on January the 21st to baptize a bunch of guys who went, you know what, I was one of those guys. I'm one of the guys that caused people to write, me too. I was one of those guys, but I'm not one of those guys anymore because God came for people like me. And I'd love to baptize you on January the 21st. Because you know, when Jesus was on the cross and he was the victim of injustice and he was the vulnerable person who wasn't protected by anybody, do you know what he said about the sins of the people that held him on the cross? You know what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Most of us men don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing to women. And we're clueless. And we need God's help to be different kind of men. I'm going to pray for us. And I I know that I've left a whole bunch of uh, unsaid things, unclosed things. My goal here, again, is to help guide us. To talk about what's right and wrong so you can have what Jesus said was right and wrong, forefront in your mind, and you can use that as your example and your pattern. And that as the church, we wouldn't put our head in the sand and go, this isn't happening, or this is political, or we would say, well, we're going to make a difference to the, because Jesus came for the vulnerable, he came for the abused, he came for the people who hurt. And he also came for the abuser and the hurter to heal all that mess. So I'm going to pray for us. And if you'd like to talk to somebody, there'll be a few women and a couple men down here as well afterwards. If you want to talk about any of this in any way, have someone pray for you, pray for some emotional healing maybe that you need. And then we'll come back next week and we'll learn more about this together. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. God, I know there are women in this room because they said what they feel. that have been carrying a painful secret and have felt like um, it wasn't okay to say it. And now the curtain's being lifted a little bit and they're feeling like maybe they can say it. I pray you'd bring your grace and your healing to them. That they would even have the courage to stand up to people who are in power. And all of the confusing ways that that works itself out in work environments and office politics and all of that. And then, Lord, I pray for men. I pray that all of us as men would uh, take a look and make sure that we're treating women the way that you would have treated women. And some of us as men, as we look at that, we'll realize that we're way off, we're way off the mark. We're way off the pattern. And so we need your help be different kind of men and so we uh, repent we change our mind about how we have seen women 
and what we think is okay. And we uh, need your help to do it different. So we ask for that. So now, uh, God of the victim, um, and now, uh, God who heals abusers, bring your healing to bear on this subject in our hearts, in our lives, and in our relationships. I pray this in your name. Amen. I'd like to leave you with a blessing. There'll be, like I said, a prayer team down front if you'd like to talk with someone or pray about this subject at all. May you know the God of the victims and the God who changes abusers. May you know you're sent to love that God, to love people and serve the world in his name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See ya.